Welcome to Counter Stories, a program by people of color for people of color and everyone else. I'm Hui Lee, owner of The Other Media Group, VP of Programming at Ampers, and Counter Stories producer. And I'm Don Eubanks, member of the Malax Band of Ojibwe Indians and associate of Dendros Group. I'm Luz Maria Frias, uh, former Deputy Attorney General of the state of Minnesota. I am now on my own. Uh, took an early Yay. retirement and <laughs> doing some executive coaching and uh, sitting on some private boards. So thank you. And just came back from a really great trip to Spain. So, yeah, it was yeah. a phenomenal trip. Yep. Thank you. Happy to be back. Um, and we have a special guest joining us today and I'll have her introduce herself. Saludos, everyone. My name is Maria, Representative Maria Isa Perez Vega. I represent the wonderful District of 65B, which is our uh, Capitol Hill, St. Paul, our capital city, downtown St. Paul, the west side, Barrio, St. Paul, as well as a little bit of the east side, West 7th, and now half of the city of West St. Paul with the latest redistricting from last year. So oh, wow. two counties, two cities, mm. double, double time in 65B. Well, I currently live on the east side, but I'm a west sider for life because that's where I grew up. And when you're from the west side, you're always from the west side. What? West sider there you for go. life. <laughs> I do want to mention to our listeners that um, we are recording today on November 1st, which is a holiday, Dia de los Muertos. So do you guys want to give us kind of a little rundown of what that is again? Well, it's a traditional Mexican holiday, but it's celebrated throughout Latino America, especially uh, in the United States. Our Latinidad expresses a time for us to honor our ancestors, honor the dead. Um, so here in St. Paul, um, we specifically uh, are known for the first Latino community, which is a community of the West Side um, that had the first Latino or Mexican Day of the Dead altars in the state of Minnesota. And so it's it's very special. I'm Puerto Rican, but growing up in the West Side Barrio, in the community, we celebrated our muertos just as well. It's also connected with uh, the All Saints Day. So, you know, we celebrate the, the memory and we honor with altars of decorated with the pictures of our, our lost ones or the ones that we remember. Um, along with uh, foods, their favorite foods, their favorite music. You know, while people mourn um, and grieve, we celebrate and honor in, uh, their memory. Yeah, and I would add, you know, that's why it's a tough day, you know, because for those of us who have lost a family member recently, like myself, my sister earlier this year, it's a tough day. You know, all day I've been thinking about her and thinking about all our our times together, our special memories, but as many representative Vega Perez has said, um, it's also a time to celebrate uh, the great memories that we've had with them, the love that we've we share for them, and all the uh, the things that they loved, their food, the drinks, the music, the picture that we have, uh, a candle, multiple candles are often lit also in their memory. Uh, and the theory is that they are visiting us uh, the, today uh, and they're with us today and they're receiving the gifts, receiving the things that we put on that altar. November 1st is also the first day of the federal recognition of American Indian Heritage Month. So Don, how are you celebrating? I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> if, if listeners could see his face right now, 
So let's jump into our topic. So um, representative, uh, thank you so much for joining us um, and giving us a little overview of um, the holiday. We did invite you here to talk a little bit about the Child Care Stabilization Grant Program. Can you give us a rundown on what that is? You know, we had a pretty large, if not a historical surplus um, in my first legislative session, uh, which was $17.8 billion. And um, between our state legislation and our governor's office, we went in with the intentions of making sure that children and families our littlest ones were going to be taken care of the most. And with our amazing tax chair, Representative Gomez, I've got to give a shout out to my mentor. You know, we all formed in our caucus and particularly to talk with the other side of the caucus as well as what is needed. We have survived a pandemic. Um, we are in the growth of trying to lead not in a state initiative, but through uh, influencing our federal government because we all know and have seen the circus that that's been, <laughs> how Minnesota can take a position of not having to wait into families in getting into more debt. And when we hear about families not being able to go to work because they can't uh, afford childcare, you know, it's not that they don't have uh, uh, employment. It's the matter of fact that they have one child or more than one child, and they can't even afford the childcare with a full-time job. I mean, the testimonies that I heard in our as serving in our children and families committee, um, alongside my colleagues and in particular our chair, Representative Dave Pinto, it was a structure to say, hey, we are going to create opportunities um, for our low-income families to be able to have accessibility, to be able to afford child care so that they can keep their jobs and if they don't have employment they can seek employment with the great opportunities that our workforce and our employment opportunities that have been granted to the state so it was an overall balance of saying look we are going to have these grants is it enough no it's not enough and i'll say that it's a start um, and it's actually something that we are going to be having a conversation in a uh, in, in, in a committee uh, hearing, uh, a special hearing next week with our children and families to discuss how we can expand more grants to not just lower income families. Because we're also seeing our middle class suffer from not being able to afford or they may not qualify for what was passed in this last legislative legislative session. So we're really uh, 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 taking the opportunity to say, how do we open up the doors and not have to wait, but channel in and have an equitable funding so that it's 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 not putting our middle class family into a low income family and it's not putting our lower income families into a trap. Um, I have a lot of nieces and nephews and I know that um, my mom do watch the kids during the day. Um, and she, you know, they, we, we talk a lot about the cost, just that, you know, if she's sick or she's feeling under the weather or something, she feels really bad to tell my brother and sister-in-law, like, don't bring the kids over because she knows how much, you know, it costs in America. She doesn't know how much. She knows it's expensive in America. And traditionally it was, you know, the grandparents would watch the children, but it's not really like that. In America, you know, our our parents are not um, 
the grandparents are young grandparents, so it's not like they're retired yet, right? So my mom started watching the kids when she was in her 50s. She had not retired. Um, and so then there was this thing of, you know, when my siblings, they really did take that into consideration when they were buying a house. Are we going to be close enough to childcare? Uh, you know, when they were going to have kids, you know, is mom going to be around to, to watch the kids? Those things are all things they took into consideration in planning their life. So, yeah, I mean, and in, in, I think in BIPOC families in general, we come from village, right? We come from, I, I, I am a child that my child care was with my abuela, right? It was the confidence and it wasn't just me. It was all of the grandchildren. Um, and, and then in, in forming like an avenue where it became a workforce for our grandparents. And, and especially when uh, we are talking about grandparents that speak different languages and the migration and the comfortability of culture, you know, cultural competency. And I think about this every time when I'm in our committee hearings and our me in our meetings is really connecting the dots of that infrastructure and also providing opportunity for the abuelas and the, the tias and 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 the 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 family member in village that is the caretaker they need to be included in um in in those avenues of child care folks are talking about custodial or what it looks like for different families who don't come from the traditional american of send my kid to child care i'm uh grateful that you know my parents I'm a single mom. I was on the campaign trail with a, a, a two to three year old changing into three years old. Right. And me being, uh, you know, full time working as a youth worker in the nonprofit sector and as an artist, um, you're making ends meet to make sure that your kid has what they what they need. But I would I I would say, here's the thing. If I can afford you know, three days of a child's care to be comfortable and two days of having that privilege of having the village of family. You know, I was thinking about many folks, specifically my constituents now, who don't have that, who, who, like you stated, are coming from a younger background of the grandparents are, are, are retired or um, maybe are even having two jobs after a pandemic because everyone's trying to make ends meet or you have family that doesn't live in the metropolitan area. Maybe some of them live in, in rural Minnesota and greater Minnesota or in the suburbs. And we're looking at how the infrastructure of transportation is. You know, it's uh, when you folks don't understand at times, unless they're really one, they have, they, they are parents or two, they are the child care providers or three, they're the child. Okay. Who are, are dealing with, you know, the back and forth while they're three years old, you're, you're in your, your nutrition age right there. I, I like to say the nutrition age, not just by feeding, but also feeding the, the, the body, but feeding the mind. And so when you're, you're trying to make things easier, not harder, we have to make those decisions based on everyone who's a part of the upbringing of that child. And I think that coming from a perspective of cultural competency, and I'm going to keep throwing that word because it's important. I, I grew up in, in a, in a family where my abuela was coming here as a woman who didn't speak, you know, English, but was taking care of, of children from uh, our Southeast Asian community, our Native American community, our African American community, and it was about the integrity of her passion for children. 
and 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 the caring. And we're looking at how much child care centers are closing, how many are closing, whether they're private or public sector. We're looking at folks getting jobs at maybe a grocery store because they're getting benefits or they can get paid more by working in retail and customer services, but their passion and their heart is for our children. We need to support the overall structure of what child care is. And that's why we're really pushing forward on adding more to this child uh, stabilization grant that, you know, this is a, this is a start. This is what I tell everybody. We, we, we had members of our children and families committee and early ed committee at the white house this summer we were invited to talk with the Biden administration and other uh, state legislators throughout the country to say, this is what we're doing in Minnesota. What are you doing so that we can work together to make this generally better for our kids, for the future of what America is going to look like, and also for those elders that are going to be retiring and they should be working with their passion. They shouldn't be having to pull out of their 401k and their in their um, in-house daycare to be able to, to staff folks so that they don't have to lay them off and, and fire them. Th th that's the ground term is like, how do we continue to look at this pie and make sure that it is filling everybody's tummies financially, <laughs> metaphorically speaking, you know, but also emotionally and health wise, what's the best? It's an overall sector. It's an overall platform of an agenda. And the focus is what is best coming from our kids. And I just love the expression of what you stated is that, you know, we we come from the family of villages that that raised us. So, Representative um, Perez Vega, there were when I glanced at the bill, there were two two grants that the bill speaks of. And the first one, I think, was called like a, a early learning grant opportunity or something like that, where where families families who fit a certain criteria could apply for those dollars and then use those dollars for their um, age appropriate children to attend a um, um, a daycare center that was part of the uh, parent aware system. And and so that one, you know, clearly was defined. It was to help low-income families get their children into daycare. The one I'm concerned about was the second port, the second grant, and that grant, the child stabilization grant, I think was what that one was called, was one that I think um was more in line with what you were just talking about. It those were dollars I think that were going to the providers to help them survive. The, my, I, I guess my question is, as I looked at that one, that one seemed to expire in June of 2023. That means it's already, it's already done. It's over. And I'm wondering, are there plans to try to um, come up with another mechanism that will help providers? Cause I, you know, childcare workers are some of the um, lowest underpaid individuals, yet um, that that we entrust with our futures, right? right? And for whatever reason, our society doesn't value that and doesn't want to pay. And 
those individuals deserve to be paid more for taking care of our future. Absolutely. But how do we do that when, you know, where do we find that medium between paying those workers what they really should be earning, but then keeping the cost of sending our children to childcare affordable for low-income families? And that seems to almost be a catch-22. Yep. So... Although I'm making a statement, I was wondering, are there going to be attempts to address that second grant that seems to have ended? Absolutely, Donald. And great question. And that's what I was uh, stating is that we're circling in as children and families because me being one on that and uh, focusing on early ed uh, for our, our, our youngest learners is we don't have enough (laughs) providers for an early ed. Um, And and, and we're talking about the educational gaps and the disparities amongst our children right now. The root is where, who is providing that early ed? And if there's no funding for that, we're not closing these gaps. They're widening up and it's spreading so wide that folks can't just brush their shoulders up anymore because the answer is that the funding needs to go there. So we're meeting, like I stated, um, because this has been something, and and I can speak on within my district, that the city has been trying to um, create certain uh, policy that would bring in more funding for those providers but the cities doesn't have the capacity. And this is why I was like, we have to run this from a state leadership initiative. And we got to go back to the drawing board to help those individual cities, such as in St. Paul, where the child care is, it's a crisis. It is a crisis right now. Um, so we're, we're organizing amongst our committee uh, for children and families to be able to say, hey, there's some funding that needs to get push in here. And we don't need to go through a whole legislative session to keep folks waiting to, to, to most importantly, to close, to, to not close these doors of these childcare, these daycare centers, uh, providers, as well as for our kids that are the ones that are suffering the most out of it. Um, and sitting on ed finance committee, it just makes sense. We need to be able to support universal child care. <laughs> we wouldn't be having the issues of, lit- of the literacy and the dropout rates and the mental health and the issues that we see that affect predominantly who? BIPOC children. Because we, we we're coming already from those disparities. So I'm like, why are we coming to this agenda to talk about the eighth grade to the high school when we need to talk about this going from zero to three years old? We've got uh, permanent funding with the VPK that I was able to carry this past legislative session for permanent seats um, and, and and an expansion of an additional 5,000 seats by fiscal year 2026. Why are we running around at the same same type of excitement just so we're pressuring that to provide for our take care providers? You know, I, I was like, we can we can have pre-K and daycare be funded. But it, but uh, not everyone's as loud as me as I like to say. I got to get everybody gritandoing with their grito in there. But I think we're, I think we're, you know, the fact that we've been able to pass a lot of good legislation, but this in particularly is something that has a soft spot in my heart because when folks were celebrating, I was like, yeah, celebrating, but ugh, I can't celebrate because not all of us are in the in, in the end zone. I think about the child care providers. 
I think about the parents and I think about myself that if I didn't have the privilege of having my 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 padres there as the retired grandparents to help a single mom um, raise her kid while they're working full time, it, it's 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 a sad situation, you know. And then I think about the folks that are literally pulling out their 25 years of 401k to keep staff and doors open. They should it's 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 hurting the kids. It's hurting the families and it's also hurting our employment. So if we've got billions of dollars from from this past session and going into what we've already said close to $3 billion is what's being echoed around these walls over here is that we need to make sure that that target of a bullseye is for our earliest learners and for the folks that are in that in, in that industry. We need to make sure that there is avenues of licensing that are provided for our communities, whether they're 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 new to the state of Minnesota or they've been here and they're looking to continue that that area of work, it, there's opportunity. There's opportunity. I think about just the news that came out of the 2010 census amongst the Latino community that there's been a 40% population of Latino raised since 2010 census. You know what that means? I think about wow, those are amazing. Uh, uh, men and women that can be child care providers, that can be building their own places that will help the next, not just Latinos, but everyone around here. I was just with Representative uh, Hussein and Senator Fatah talking about the East African community and how they're dwelling with that. They're like, you know, we need our communities to take these jobs, but they're not paying enough. So I said, so we need to create a policy that's going to ensure that there's jobs and that our kids are getting the education that they need before they become a statistic. Representative Vega Perez, we're so honored and thrilled that you're at the legislature with your energy and commitment to our young children and our families, because uh, before your leadership, um, we weren't seeing the results that, that we're seeing now. So congratulations and thank you so much. And to, to further amplify your message with regard to the disparities, you know, the research tells us that 90% of brain development happens in the first five years of a child's life, 90%. So to your point earlier about the disparities, we need to make sure that all parents know this statistic, right? That all parents are aware that the, the most valuable years of a child's development happen the first five years. And then we also know that research tells us that there's a big disparity between the amount of vocabulary that a higher income family has versus a family who has little to no income. And that gap is staggering. It's 30 million word gap. So just imagine that, that by the time that our children get to kindergarten, that you will see then this huge gap. And so they're already starting at this deficit that you talked about, Representative Vega Perez, before school even begins. You know, I think about when I was growing up, we didn't know this information. We didn't have books in the house as little children, you know, in our, in our family back home. I grew up in the barrio in Chicago. We didn't have that. But when we raised our girls, we were very intentional to read to them every day. We had books everywhere to make sure that they had that exposure. And so making sure that our families have this knowledge that empowers them to step into that space. And with regard to the availability of child care providers, you're absolutely right. I mean, we have the institutional uh, centers, you know, and then we have the family and friends. 
that both you and Hali have referred to, but it's also about getting them to be what are called parent aware certified so that they're eligible for this supplemental help, but also that the children ultimately benefit from this knowledge gap as well. So that our children have the cultural competency and the blessings that come with that, as well as the academic aspects, the rigor that comes with the parent aware training and the standardization that's held there. So I'm just beaming with joy right now, hearing you um, highlight the work that you've done and the work that you're committed to doing uh, going forward and that your leadership at this point in time and always is so incredibly valuable for all Minnesotans, not just your district, because the work that you're doing, as you said, will impact all children, all families across the state of Minnesota. And nationally, it sounds like, because you're meeting at the White House with other colleagues around the country, you know? So that is just an incredible, incredible feat that you have achieved. For the $40 million that was allocated for early learning scholarships are uh, used specific in specific parent-aware programs. The, the parent-aware is, it is a website, parentaware.org for our listeners. You put in an address and they show you um, child care facilities near you. And they'll also tell you if that place um, is eligible for scholarships. Technically speaking, it's a quality assurance uh, program, meaning it is um, a curriculum by which child care providers need to adhere to certain standards that meet the assessment, the curriculum, the teaching in order to qualify as parent aware. Meaning okay. if you have a child care program in your home and you're not teaching the children any curriculum, any academic parts of it, you're not teaching them developmental skills, you're plopping them in front of the TV, that would not be a parent aware program. There's actually okay. a rigid qualification assessment that accompanies that to be able to be identified and labeled and certified, if you will, to be parent aware. So it's a, a bit of a rigor that is attached to that so that we know with assurances that the 30 million word gap that I referenced earlier is not an issue because once a program is then qualified as being parent aware that they have passed all of this curricula type of teaching and assessment that that then is built into it. And, and we are assured that our children can develop academically, socially, and, you know, the motor skills that are, are often necessary at those uh, stages early on. Not just uh, making sure that there's WIC available and SNAP. Everybody always wants to talk on the other side of the aisle. The debate is always, though, you guys are getting handouts. And I'm like, excuse me? You know, the just the, the reference of that. It's, no, we are making sure that folks, specifically parents, folks that are guardians, responsible for these individual and amazing uh, future leaders and, and future parents have everything that they need that is to fulfill to get them to their highest reach. I think about my parents. I think about how my upbringing was maybe different than the, the, the other Latina or the other 
uh, uh, young girl that was down the block, but we all connected in together in conversation and communication so that we had folks vocalizing what we didn't have and what we needed more of. And I feel specifically with this age and uh, in, in, in technology, and I've just been doing a lot of research, especially since our attorney general uh, is has uh, is, is filed uh, against Meta, because that's a whole nother podcast conversation that we can talk about. But how, you know, th- that we're so disconnected. We're, we have technology connecting us to resources and, and, and allowing parents like myself to be connected on, on what's happening. But we're losing the value of communication on full circle and in our and, and outside of these boxes, right? It serves us well. So, I mean, I could go on and on to being on what parent awareness is, but what who's being dedicated? How much information do parents have? And how much information are parents being able to give in the development process of our children? Developmental stages, you know, there is opportunities from, think about your counties, okay, what funding that's going towards the counties when we're talking about once the child is born and even before the child is born. Do the parents have a home? Okay. Do the parents have health care? Do the parents have, is it, are they in a safe situation? All right. Um, do they need an interpretation? All of these are an upbringing of what is going to be a part of this child and not just from the first 12 months. I think folks think about like the infantry of like the baby's born and you go home and you get a, and you get a, a car seat to put in the car. Well, all of that costs money and training too. Okay, because folks need that. It's also the 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 opportunity for um, the, the developmental stages of 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 communication and um, and opportunities for the kids' mental uh, development to be able to be accessible as well. I think about the mom that was in committee saying we need more resources in Greater Minnesota because we don't have a clinic down the block. We have to drive two hours away to learn how to even give breastfeeding to our children. You know, to how, how to give them their nutrition or have resources in our own languages because we don't live in the metro area. I think about that in particularly because we we do have a privilege in the metro, even though we do have some of the most disparities, but we do have a privilege where we, we do have a clinic that can be 10 minutes away, right? That we do have translators if we speak a different language. Those opportunities are all a part of the foundation of parent awareness, but They've been dismissed or the funding has been cut in prior um, legislative sessions. And now I want to highlight the fact that because we do have the largest uh, BIPOC legislative session of representation, we're bringing our agendas and our survivors and our skills to that data that's out there to say these are avenues that can work. And and if folks are saying, oh, no, it won't, well, it's never been tried before. So let's get an opportunity for these organizations that are built up, whether it's it's in Duluth, Bemidji, or on the West and West St. Paul, to say, we need these resources. We know how to get these to our families. Think about diapers. We funding diapers through this. <laughs> We're fund- like diapers for all. <laughs> <laughs> The uh, within our, you know, I'm just excited about our workforce, uh, our deeds, uh, get, providing opportunities to these organizations as well for folks that need help. 
Um, and and there's a there's a lot of funding that I want to say that's going in from workforce to children and families. So it's 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 an overall agenda that how can each sector of policy provide for our littlest ones? So I mean, this really affects the workforce, though, because I know for my family, when my sister had her baby, there she thought she there was a big consideration to quitting her job and ha- and being a one income household but that didn't work those numbers didn't work either right and i know there's a lot of people who say well don't have kids if you can't afford them and there's this argument you know that kids are expensive and if you can't afford to care for them and do all this and do all that then don't have kids but it's not like in the 50s where a single income would get you a house in the suburbs and you can have four kids and a golden retriever, right? Like it, it doesn't really work. I don't think that that even ever worked. That didn't ever work for, (laughs) you had to sacrifice something because if you think about those suburbs in the fifties, that means you had the baby boomers and you had the folks that were coming back from war. And then that you had the most disparities in the civil rights movement. And so we're all of this. Yes. With workforce and, 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 and is a very important infrastructure of the policy because we need to provide the steps for the general circle. You shouldn't have to quit your job to be able to take care of the kid or work three jobs as a teacher to be able to maybe put tuck your kid to bed if you can. You know, like it's all uh, uh, it, like I, I, I just say I love to do the trenzas. I go back to the indigenous practicings of braiding. It all has to be braided together. So if you got billions of dollars there, you can't just focus on one area. You got to focus on the center of how all of them are going to move up there. You can't just say, well, we're going to give billions of dollars to the schools. Well, what's the schools doing to provide employment, right? Are they, are they paying the, the teachers right? We can't just cover up one hole, mm-hmm. one pothole with it. It's got to be a full blanket mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. level up. And, you know, not everybody wants to hear that. But if if it hasn't worked in the past, and I'm not accepting the status quo, and many of my colleagues we're not we're in this together, not accepting that we want to see that change, then the change got to go into how do we help everybody? How do we help so that mom doesn't have to quit her job? How do we help so that she works enough hours that she's comfortable and that she gets the benefit that provides for her? And most importantly, for that child, not the answer of don't have kids. Well, then you got that other side of the aisle telling, forcing folks to make women's reproductive rights as well. So, you know, it's, it's, mm-hmm. it, it, and, 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 and by any means, everyone can have their opinion. But, you know, I stand firm with mine and saying like, hey, how do we make it easier for everybody? And let's, 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 let's bring out some strategic planning and let's look at the data. Because that's how we're going to make it happen. So I know this is somewhat, somewhat unrelated, but along those lines, Representative, that you just were talking about, um, the state just announced that they were limiting, eliminating the degree requirement for many state yep. positions, and and you know, and and so one can't help. But think that just by eliminating that one requirement is going to open the door um, that could have a beneficial impact for many of the families that we're talking about. 
you know, there are all kind of hurdles that prevent uh, many individuals from attaining mm-hmm. uh, a degree. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I and, and I just wanted to mention that because I just think that that even something as little as that we are getting rid of that one requirement and the benefit that can have toward helping Absolutely. people find employment. You know, you, you think about I my educational upbringing came from starting at the developmental stages of zero to three. OK, I didn't go to school to study policy. <laughs> I was just surrounded by it. So when folks are going specifically because I hear it all the time and I can speak on my perspective of, you know, well, where's your degree in political science? And I'm like, I grew up with a mother who has a degree in political science. <laughs> you know, so my degree was trying to figure out how to work policy <laughs> with your in your own household. And I shouldn't be. It's like it's you building your curriculum. And that's something that I tell as, a, as 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 an educator and as a youth worker. And we're looking at tier one to tier three. And how do we jump? And you got to spend so much money to get to tier three. And do you even make it to tier three because you need another job to pay for your house mortgage and your kids and your degree? You know, all of this is systemically placed to keep us shackled, to keep us trapped. And so if we're talking about restorative justice in the system, then yeah, I know so many folks that were denied state opportunities because of just that, that clause. I, at a time, if I did, if I wasn't an elected official, I wouldn't qualify for some of those state jobs. You know, it's, it's the reality of it, but we're coming from a structure of working together. We work together with folks who have degrees from three different types of degrees, and they're not even working in the sector of what degrees they got them from. But they have everybody has something to bring towards the table. And everyone has something that we can learn from each other. So I'm so proud of that being signed just what yesterday, like what a week? It, because I, I, I'm able to forward you know, these job descriptions that come to my email to folks that have been qualifying for these 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 roles that can actually fill the gaps when we're talking about health care, when we're talking about uh, housing, when we're talking about child care and development, you know, like the nurturing process of it all while surviving. You know, this, the, the demographics and the systems of whether it's it's a it's a chronic illness or it's it's a it's racism or the discrimination that we face from even having a, a stutter while we're, we're, we're being di- now diagnosed by by a school district. All of this <laughs> is is what I look at, Donald. So I'm great. I'm glad that you brought it up because we can't <laughs> have things change if we're not changing and knocking down the barricades that have not allowed us to go through together. It's, it's, it, and, and, and that's why, you know, I have as much, as much as it's hard and as much as that we get, you know, trampled down by like, why? <laughs> the question of why is this consistent? Why are we seeing a federal government uh, 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 taking away affirmative action? Why are we seeing a federal government taking away our reproductive mm-hmm. rights? Mm-hmm. Why are we seeing the federal government trying to tell people to ban our, our, our history? Mm-hmm. We're coming in at a state to lead to say, you know what? We're going to work things on our own, on, on our experiences. Yeah. And we'll let we'll let the people decide. Yeah. How about that? We'll let our people decide. Because, you know, I, this is my first session. I'm going into my second one, my, my first term. 
and folks are you you know you better be careful and i'm like for what you, you got to be careful at all this time what do you mean i better be careful mm-hmm. well you know you guys are changing a lot of things quick i'm like yeah it's taken uh, for me i'm puerto rican 531 years of change we're looking for you know <laughs> so like i think about our indigenous community here when we're talking about tribal and state relations it's about connecting all of our tribes and it's about connecting all of our our, our backgrounds and our history and our identities and to feel our orgullo and our pride in that together because if not we're not going to heal we're just it's going to keep being, we're, we're, getting, we're going backwards. So in Minnesota, like you got, we're going palante. We're moving forward. We're, we're, we're trying to do something better. And is it easy? No. And is it conflict? Yes. But that's politics. And that's also the beauty of policy is being able to have those conversations, those heavy conversations and, and, and across the board and, and, and recognizing your, your, your disparities, recognizing your privileges and everybody has, it's all tribal. Everybody got something to give to the circle. So yes, if you don't have a four-year degree, go. Doesn't matter. Go look at what you're good at, and let's see how we can we can fit some employment. And if you can't get it at the state level, let's find somewhere that you can get to the state level. Don't give up. Mm. Let's make it happen. Well spoken. Miigwech. <laughs> so, Representative, um, so what kind of outreach is is happening? What outreach is happening? Yeah. You know, I can speak about like within my district. <clears throat> in particularly, and we're trying to grow within other districts and my colleagues to say, how do we have these opportunities? But, you know, as soon as we, every policy, whether it's been for child care grants to driver's licenses to, you know, the new cannabis and expungements because of this and housing opportunities, uh, I do full circle. Okay, and the the state agencies, the they have a lot of work to do. They because we got all this great policy happening, but it 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 comes with uh, accountability to action. So now the the ways that we've been able to work amongst in my district is those organizations that have been consistent, that have a value in their mission, that um are are or are whether they're 100 years old like the neighborhood house or up you know new organizations like copal that have been around for three to four years right engaging latinos um uh ayada engaging our east african community uh the arts and culture with mcgizzy you know we're we're connecting our dots to say you don't know how to get uh, a business loan through deeds for your child your, your child care well guess what you come to my office or you contact these organizations that have millions of dollars that are provided. And if if for some reason they're not getting back to you, you contact us because we're doing accountability to action. There's 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 no more of a, a driven space of saying that. So in particular with these child care grants, it's um it's utilizing the the uh, partnerships with these organizations commitment to fulfill what the state is and also directing them to the departments. Um, directing them to the, the the offices that have this aligned agenda. And if for any reason that they're shaky, you give me a call to my office and I'm on it because I, I, I'll i tell you, great, great policy has been passed. We just got to get the ducks moving a lot faster to make those departments uh, uh, turn it over now. And then, Hilly, I, I would jump in and say, you know, with my previous experience as a social worker, that when I looked at the criteria for the families, um, a, a lot of these families will be hooked up 
uh, with other programs and services. And there's going to be a good chance that, you know, because one of the criteria to get your child in, unfortunately, um, is if that child was homeless in the past 12 months. So, if, you know, if that family's suffering from homelessness, they're going to be hooked up with other programs and services. And through that network, one of the resources that would be available to them that I'm sure any well-rounded caseworker will be directing them toward this um, early learning scholarship opportunity. So, you know, that's that's generally how these things operate, is that families find themselves, exactly, find themselves receiving other programs and services. And then this would be one of those things that they would be letting these families know is available to them and <clears throat> and how to access it. And and Donald, you know, uh, and 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 that's another space of how the turnaround is going as well, right? Is is making sure that those funds have been allocated for the counties to disperse, and that's from the state level as well. Because when you think about, we're coming out of that COVID mm. shutdown. We're coming out of where in Ramsey County, it. If, if if someone wanted to have a face-to-face -face with their caseworker, that's still not even happening because it's closed, you know, and we're we're dealing with with emails and short short staff with everything, right? So it's 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 been a great, I should say, reflection of how we are really utilizing, I'm gonna say it again, the accountability to action. Like, okay, we need more social services. We need more social workers. Um, we need more of a capacity from our counties and the counties are requesting that as well. And which is why it's great that these counties have great organizations amongst our communities that are being the partners, right? If you are in need of childcare, but you also are in need of rental assistance or maybe a first down payment with $1.3 billion that went into housing, right? Well, we can step into uh, these organizations, partner with county services that will meet face to face and that will help you file for something that you, you may not even know is available to you. So uh, th those are uh, the great resources of the partnerships among counties and these nonprofit organizations that have been surviving in our in our and I say surviving because coming from nonprofit sector world, it's it's. I kudos and my love <laughs> to everyone um, because it, it really takes a passion for that area of work and for, for social worker, uh, for our social workers. I didn't, I, I don't have a degree in social work, but I will tell you that the U of M School of Social Work, Dr. Ross would send his, his senior students to my nonprofit that I was directing mentorship for, for their senior program credits, because we are at a short. And it's about connecting what works best for our kids. We need help in the schools. We need help in the rec centers. Social workers need help. So why don't we all just come together and figure out how we can help each other make the battle easier? I do know Children's Defense Fund of Minnesota has a, a process and a website where you can go in and see what you qualify for. And it'll also determine, like, if you sign up for this benefit, that means you don't qualify for this other benefit. And so it, it is kind of all kind of intertwined and it's, it's confusing. It's hard for folks to navigate. But all these issues are so, super intertwined. Just like, just like you said, the childcare, the, the workforce, right? The, the uh, health disparities, all that 
So I'm making my plug again, like I do probably every three or four shows, voting. Voting is so important because that's how we get these programs passed. So reminding our listeners that we should definitely 100% vote. And that's how we can get these sorts of laws passed to help us with child care. Um, even though I don't have any children my, of my own, I know um, from the experiences of my family that it re- there really is a child care crisis um, going on. It's 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 going to take the mm-hmm. the the policy connecting between our local city, county and our state level to really put the 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 I don't want to earmark because this has already been heard. It's really to put the agenda moving forward for um, our our state and our, our counties and our local cities to be able to have an answer for these families that are suffering due to the child care crisis. So yeah, elections are important at every every level. Thank you, uh, Representative Maria Issa Perez-Vega for joining us today. I know you were rushing out of another meeting, so I want to thank you for taking the time um, to chat with us. I, there's, I know you're still working on this. We're excited to see how this develops in the future. I'm Halili, owner of the Other Media Group, VP of Programming at Ampers and Counter Stories producer. And I'm Don Eubanks, member of the Mille Lacs Band of Ojibwe Indians and associate of Dendro's group. I'm Luz Maria Frias, former Deputy Attorney General with the state of Minnesota, and I am uh, right now just enjoying some free time uh, for myself and, and being in community uh, for a little bit uh, after having a rigorous, rigorous uh, time uh, with my previous career. And our guest. Gracias and good for you. I'm so glad you're taking that time, Luz Maria. Thank you. Yes. Um, And I am Representative Perez Vega. A lot of folks call me Vega Perez because that's my mom's last name, but uh, my father's is first. Perez Vega. And uh, I represent 65B here in St. Paul at the state capitol. Muchas gracias for having me on here. It's a pleasure speaking with you. This has been Counter Stories, a co-production of the Counter Stories crew and Ampers, diverse radio for Minnesota's communities, with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. For a full conversation, please visit counterstories.com. <laughs>